morning. Thank you so much for all of you being with us on this beautiful Sunday. Hasn't been too many of those in a while, so even more impressive that you guys are here, so thank you. Uh, I was really honored to have Pastor Brandon uh, ask me to share this morning, and uh, really blessed to be able to have this chance to connect you all to a verse that has uh, been very personal and very important to me. Um, so before we get started, let me just open us in prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, Almighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am, Jesus, you're the way. We desire to live our lives in a way that just boldly declares that you're the way, that our lives would be reoriented, even this morning, through the message in some new and fresh way so that we can draw closer to you, reflect you more into our broken community and into our broken world. Lord God, just be uh, in me this morning and uh, in my words and, and in each person that's here this morning, that you would give them ears to hear, but not just auditory ears to hear, ears to hear down deep in their hearts and souls and in their minds. We so desire that our lives would be changed by you and for you so that we may be of use to you in redeeming and renewing uh, our community and our world. We just lift up this time this morning that you would be here with us and anointed in every way for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So, these are pretty crazy times that we're living in right now. And I thought about what Jesus said as I was preparing to talk with you all from Philippians this morning. I thought about what Jesus said in Luke 21, because I couldn't help as I was preparing the message this morning to think about our world today and just really how crazy the times seem. In Luke 21, he talks about how in the end, he talks about the end times, which I don't know about you, but I look at everything in the world and it seems very different right now, doesn't it? I mean, it seems very different than it has in my whole lifetime, and what a unique time we live in, and people are terrified of it. And Jesus said during those times in Luke 21, he said, people will be fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we're all affected by some sense of this in today's society. There are plenty of things to keep us uneasy, anxious, and even fearful. So as we get started this morning and prepare to focus on this passage of Scripture from Philippians 4, I want to make sure we are being very real and very sensitive to our current realities. Because I kind of feel like the current times have only increased the seriousness and the importance of this passage that we're going to study this morning from Philippians 4. And really taking our Christianity seriously and valuing his word more, because it's never been more important than right now to keep our heads and our hearts about us, right? So Jesus is saying in Luke 21 what will be happening in the world. He says you'll see people and they'll be terrified 
and they'll look at the world around, and they'll look at the economy, and they'll look at politics, and they'll look at terrorism, and they'll look at societal divisions and violence, and they'll look eventually at all the signs and the wonders that God's going to be doing, and they'll be terrified. But then he says a couple of verses later, at that time, he says, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Everyone else is passing out and terrified about the things that are coming, and that's the time when you, as followers of me, Jesus is saying, you just straighten up and you look up because you know your redemption is drawing near. I love that picture. I love that picture of lifting up our heads and going, I'm not afraid of this. I'm not afraid of what comes my way because I know what's coming. I know how this story ends. It reminds me of a few years ago, and as I was thinking about this some more, not really a few years ago, probably even longer than that, because I saw recently this television show has actually reinvented itself yet again, and it's uh, you know, a, a new show now with some different players. But Cheryl and I, my wife, this was probably our first binge-watching experience was this show, 24. How many watched it when it was going on, right? You remember that show? So we only got through season two, but we did it in about three sittings. And it was like every show, you're like, oh my gosh, the world's going to be destroyed, and Jack's going to die, and someone he loves is going to die, and I have to watch the next show right now. And somewhere along season two, it occurred to me that everybody else was watching season three, and that the world was still here, and Jack was still alive. And suddenly, my anxiety level and my suspense that was keeping me having to watch and watch again was, I was like, oh, well, I, this isn't really to worry about, right? It's probably partly why we never get into season three. But I knew the most important part of the story, right? I knew the part that was keeping me anxious and wanting to keep watching. And that's the picture Jesus is giving to us as his followers. He's saying, look, I know there's going to be ups and downs. But what makes it easier for us to know uh, is that we've got a season three. We've got a season 300. We've got a season three million. None of this crazy world we live in these days is going to change our ending. Because so much more importantly than a TV series, we know the end of our life story. We know the end of this world's story, don't we? I think of what he says in Revelation 21. Let's read verses one through four. And I'm reading from the English Standard Version, which I happen to prefer. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, 
and the former things have passed away. I love that. Let's remember the end. Let's remember how this thing ends. There's just something not right about life right now. There are those of us who we know God and we love God, but there's there's still something missing. We don't see him. He's not just right there in our faces. We have to do so much by faith. And yet he says there's going to come a day when it's going to be different. Like some of us will be looking at each other in the eyes 100 years from now. Think about this. Some of us, we're going to be looking at each other 100 years from now. It's going to be completely different, though. God will be in our midst, and we'll actually fellowship with him, kind of like they did in the garden, of Adam, uh, the garden with Adam and Eve. Everything's fine right now. God's right here. There's no more death. There's no more sickness. This is what we have to look forward to, and it's because of that that we can rejoice right now. And if we are following his commands and surrendering our lives, along with our personal anxieties and our fears, our hopes and our personal desires, I believe we can enter into a small part of this future reality right here, right now, in this current crazy world we find ourselves in. So before we segue to Philippians 4, I just want to share one other perspective that I think is important to bear in mind before we study this passage. Before I, before I do that though, just keep in mind, everybody in your life is battling these same anxieties in today's society that we are. Don't be afraid to talk about it. Ask people, how you doing? I mean, you don't have to get into political discussions or arguments, just you understand, there's, 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 a, there's a pressure building in everyone. And if you could be just a word of encouragement by sharing the hope that we share. It could be super helpful and even life-changing. So what I wanted to share was this, and, and one of Brandon's reminders over, if you can believe it, we're approaching in November two years since we transitioned, and he also doesn't make a bad backup worship leader either, huh? But one of the things that he's said repeatedly at different times that I just love is it's not about pulling up our bootstraps. The gospel is about our surrender to Christ and then our decision to go live by his grace dependent on him. And I just love that. It's not about discipline and just willing ourselves to being a better person. However, and it's, a, it's an important however, we need to understand that we are called to live a life of faithfulness and of obedience and of surrender. Growing alive Christians don't just disregard the scriptures and devalue the scriptures and the commandments that God has given us there. We want to know his commands. We want to obey his commands. Why? Because we believe that this will honor him and that it would be a path ultimately to a fuller and more impactful life for us. So as we segue into Philippians 4, keep that in mind, both in terms of the societal context and then also our individual discipleship context and what we're trying to do as we work out our salvation and as we grow as Christians. So Philippians 4 is the passage that I chose when, when 
Pastor Brandon asked me to speak because it's meant so much to me. I know it's familiar to a lot of you, uh, and I have to be honest with you, it's a passage that I have not been very good at in my life for most of my life. I've, particularly in the last 15 years or so, um, really struggled with anxiety. And it's usually flowing out of, you know, I own my own company, I've got employees, we have a very large number to cover every month, and it's unfortunate, it's always sort of tied somehow to how am I going to, you know, make everything work out for everybody, and I feel this responsibility to everybody, and so it's been a heavy thing for me to work through, but this verse has been life-changing for me, and that's why it was just instant, I knew what I wanted to share, um, and God has really worked in me through this verse. But when he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I'll say it again, rejoice. I look at this passage, and I understand that it's a command from God. So when God commands something, we take it seriously, right? He commands us. He says, rejoice. And yet so much in my life, I would look at this and go, that's no command. It seems too happy to be a command. A command is like, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't kill. But this is with the same force. In fact, he's saying rejoice as a command. If you look at all the commands in Scripture, there's no other command that's written like this one. He doesn't say, thou shalt not commit adultery. I'll say it again, do not commit adultery. No, but on this one, he reemphasizes. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'm going to say it again. In case you weren't listening, rejoice. This is a command. Rejoice. And for me, I just can't take this one that seriously, and that's why I've struggled so much. But it's, it's hard for me. I could be wrong on this, but it seems to me like some people are just born with more natural joy. Do you know what I'm talking about? It seems like there's certain people that it's just their natural disposition to be joyful and happy and bubbly. And then there are others of us, present company included, where we're always focused on the problems. I think we're created more like problem solver types so we tend to dwell on what's wrong and how can we fix it. It's just a guess of mine. That's how it feels to me. Well, you see, for a good part of my early years of my marriage, and maybe if I'm honest, it was even more than that, I couldn't help myself. I was drawn to focusing on what was wrong and what needed to be fixed. I, I guess you could say I'm a bit of a perfectionist. Still am. I was trying to make everything and everyone perfect, including my new bride. Sounds like a lot of fun, doesn't it? <laughs> Who would want to be married to me, right? Well, somehow a girl named Cheryl did, and God has used her to help me in this area because it was something I really struggled with. Just as a quick side note, isn't it so cool how God created marriage as one of his ways to make us more like him? It's like this close-up human social science experiment where God is taking us and this other human being, and through this very special relationship, he's growing our personal holiness. He's building godly character into us. Well, that's, that's really been how God has used Cheryl in our marriage in my life, and still every day, obviously. So I look at this verse, and I'm going, rejoice, rejoice. Some of you are like me. It doesn't come natural to you. I can find what's wrong with everything and try to fix it, Yet it's something that the Lord has been working with me on over the years. And there's been 
just this release of new joy in me every, every uh, month, every year. Every, I just feel like so much more able to be in that state of joy that I think he calls us to when he says rejoice. And this is what the Holy Spirit does in you. He changes you, right? He gets you to focus on the right things. But in this command, he's saying rejoice. I want you to be a joyful person rejoicing in the Lord. And again, it's not about you're a naturally happy, just naturally smiley person. It's not what this is about. It's because of what we have in the Lord. It changes us. We understand what we have in God. Do you remember what you've been given? Sometimes when we say things so often, they lose their strength, the power, the emphasis, the weight of it. Let's just for a moment this morning remind ourselves right now of what we have in God. And understand that right now in heaven, as we're sitting here on earth, as I'm on this stage, right now in heaven there's this being who is sitting on a throne. Catch this. He's in charge of everything, everything. There's a being up there right now who gave me that last breath. He gave me another one. He just gave you one. It's all up to him. Everything is up to him. This being that the Bible says dwells in an unapproachable light. The Bible describes angels covering themselves from head to toe with their wings, just going, we're not worthy of being in your presence. We're not worthy to look upon this amazing being. The Bible says, I have a relationship with him. I talk to him. I have the right to come into the presence of him. Revelation 4 it talks about lightning and thunder and fire coming from his throne. And he's in charge of everything. And I speak to him. He knows everything that I've done, and you too. All the rebellion in my life. Some of the things that you don't know about, thankfully, that I've done in my past. Guess what? He knows, and he still loves me. This almighty God looks at me and says, I still love him. I love him so much. In fact, that I'm going to have my son, my one and only son, die on a cross, paying for his crimes. Because I want to demonstrate to the whole world that there's no one who loves him like I do. This God in heaven sends his son to die on a cross for me and for you. He rises from the dead to show, look, I truly am the son of God. He ascends back into heaven and says, I'll give you my spirit. It'll be a seal. Up until that day when I return and take you to the new Jerusalem and have this time when we walk together and talk together forever and ever. And guess what? The Bible says rejoice in that. Have we forgotten how good we have it? He says rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Think with me. When is the last time you weren't trying to fix anything. You just rejoiced. You just rejoiced in the Lord. You, you were just elated to know and speak to him. When was the last time? In verse 5, Paul says, and this, I love the word that the English Standard Version, Version chooses here, reasonableness. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. We all know people who we instantly can think of, right? 
So consistently reasonable, cool, under pressure, don't get easily rattled, don't get offended easily. Stuff happens, but yet it's all going to be okay. It's all going to work out. God will work this together for good somehow. Not to embarrass him, but the guy I think of is my good friend Scott Martin, unflappable. Exactly the attribute you want in your pilot. (laughs) But we all know people like this, right? And what's interesting is you can especially see this way of life exhibited in people who are deeply in love. It's almost like this sweet reasonableness. It's all good, right? Why? Because they're in love. If we really believe that the Lord is at hand and always right here by our side with us, and that he loves us and has our best interest always as his top priority, this really does allow for that sweet reasonableness to be ours as well, right? Let your reasonableness be known to all men. This is how I want you to be known, God's saying. I want you to be known for your reasonableness. What this means is when things happen to you, you don't, you don't get phased like everyone else. You don't fly off the handle when something goes wrong. There's this sweet reasonableness because you're in a relationship with the Almighty God. It's about being so in love. That's the idea here. I know what I have in heaven. God who determines everything, who made it all, loves me. So stuff happens. It's okay. I'm in love. I'm in love, and the world should see this sweet reasonableness in us. Is that what you're known for? Because you're constantly rejoicing in what you have. You're constantly reminding yourself of what God's given you. Then he says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Another command. Don't worry about anything. It's commanded of you. Don't worry about anything. If you're worried about something right now, and is there anyone here this morning that is not worried about anything, not anxious about a single thing? I was, I was going to give you credit, but thank you for being honest. Here's what I'd like you to imagine. What if you actually pulled this off and you didn't worry about anything Imagine if you did not worry about anything for the rest of your life. Think about this. I know, I know you've got to use your imagination here. It's going to be tough. But imagine for the rest of your time on earth, you never worried about a thing. Can you imagine how much people would like you? Wouldn't that be the perfect person to hang out with? Just this reasonableness. The thing we've got to understand is it's not only possible, it's commanded. God wouldn't command this if it wasn't possible. This is what he wants for us as his children. He's saying to to us, I would love it if you guys walked out of here and you just never worried again for the rest of your life because you knew I've got things taken care of. Yes, it's going to go up and down and there will be things in life. But you know how this ends. The Lord is near. It's going to happen. 
Lift up your heads, rejoice always. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, everything by praying, just pray about it instead. Don't be anxious, just pray about it. I was thinking about this a while ago. It was very convicting, quite frankly, because as I read this passage, I thought to myself as a leader of my company, as I mentioned, I have my own business. Uh, I have people working under me, like many of you. Some of you know that feeling when you've got some employees under you or maybe you've got the kids that you're responsible for and you're asking them to help you out, delegate things to the kids or to employees from time to time. Let me ask you a question. When you give, like one of your employees or your kids, a task or assignment, after you give them that task or assignment, do you worry about it getting done? Do you, in the back of your mind, go, hmm, I hope this actually gets done? You usually worry after you give an assignment. Sometimes, right? Sometimes not. What determines whether or not you worry? The person who you give the assignment to, right? Certain people, you, you just think, oh, I got to give them a call five minutes later. Other people, you're like, I'm not thinking about it ever again because that person just, I know they're doing it. They're going to do it right. They're going to do it timely. They just, they got a history with me. I've got a lot of experience and trust in them, right? So what's the basis of that? The other person and how trustworthy they are, right? Well, what occurred to me, and it really killed me when I read this, was sometimes I pray and I'm still anxious. Sometimes I lift up a request to God and I still worry about it. Do you? What does that tell me? Exactly. It tells me that I don't trust God. I don't really trust that he hears me from heaven because I gave him something. Lord, will you take care of this? And then afterwards I'm going, I wonder if he's really going to do it. I wonder if he's really going to take care of it. He's like that unfaithful employee. I was treating him like that. Because I would lift up a request to God and then I would doubt and I would question. I'd be anxious. Rather than those times when I had a faithful employee and gave them something and it was off my plate, gone, never thought about it again. That's the way God wants us to trust him. Just lift it up by prayer, supplication, just give it to me. And by the way, this, this word supplication is something that I, I've always read past and never really studied. I took the time to study the word a little bit, and it, it's just such, such a rich word, so much more depth to it than some of the other versions and the words they choose there. But it means the action of asking or begging for something earnestly or humbly. So when we think about this, let your requests be made known to God. Be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication, begging. It's like this picture on your knees or prostrate on the floor, crying out earnestly and humbly to God. I mean, how often do we do that, right? He says, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. With thanksgiving. I think that's the first thing that kind of goes when we're stressed is thanksgiving. People, if you have minds like I do, you're thinking, sitting around thanking God for stuff isn't going to accomplish anything. Let me fix this. Let me deal with the problem. I can't just sit around thanking God at a time like this. And guess what he says? He says, no, you've got it all wrong that's arrogance. You think you're going to fix something. He says, you just rejoice in me. You be thankful and you just throw it up to me. I got it. I'll take care of it. 
Trust me. I'm not saying sit back on your hands and don't do anything because oftentimes when you go to that place with God, he's going to direct you to go do something. Our problem is that we get in our anxiety. We're going to take control and we head off down a path before we go here, our source. And then we're often down a trail we didn't belong going down, right? So this isn't a passive thing. We just sit back on our hands and pray. Okay, everything, we'll leave it to God. No, he's going to call us into action more times than not if we're really living in the spirit. But it's following his command in this way first. In verse 7, he says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Imagine the peace of God, the peace that belongs to God. Think of God right now. I gave you a little picture earlier, a little bit of a glimpse. He's sitting on his throne right now. Do you think he's worried about anything? Do you think God's looking on the earth going, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen? No, he's sitting there at peace. He wrote the book of Revelation. He says, I knew what was going to happen. He said, every day of your life was ordained before one of them came to be. I knew the day you were going to be born. I know the day this is going to end for you. I know everything. Nothing takes me by surprise. We stress out because we don't have control. But for that being who has complete control, there's just perfect peace. He says, that kind of peace can be ours. You can have that kind of peace guarding and protecting your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's supernatural to the point where people go, no way, that's impossible. Yes, that is impossible. But yet, it's what God wants of his children. In your own strength, it's impossible. In him, it's very, very possible. Have you ever had those times where you just go, let me think about everything I have in Christ. Let me be thankful for it. Lift up my request. Give it to him and then not think about it again. And just be in perfect peace. His peace will protect us and guard us. And as as he does, he's guarding and protecting us from our own emotions, our own feelings, our own thoughts. Wow. Why would I or you or any of us not want this, not want to obey this command with all that it could open up to us? See, this is our choice. And I was mentioning earlier, it's not about bootstraps but it is about a whole bunch of choices to obey or disobey, learn his commands, follow his commands, or not. I pray that this morning we can all hear this and somehow be able to implement, if if nothing else, just this one new daily discipline from verses uh, verses 6 and 7 into our lives. Be anxious for nothing by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known to God. I mean, at the end of the day, when you really think about it, it's not rocket science. But yet, we have a hard time doing it, don't we? What does this look like in practical everyday life? Well, it's having a conversation with him like you would anybody, talking to him regularly. Again, he knows everything, so if you're trying not to be honest with him, really? Just be really transparent and candid and talk with him regularly. Share with him your specific requests. Things like your hopes and your dreams and your fears and your anxieties and your concerns. Talk with them honestly and openly about it. This Again, this is not rocket science. 
But it is life-changing, and I tell you personally from the heart, it has changed me dramatically. There was nights I literally couldn't sleep all night. I just had this just unbelievably difficult anxiety, be up all night. Um, This has been my answer. Just release it to him, trust him. Whatever he's bringing my way is in my best interest. But what's going to happen a couple hours from now? Well, your mind's going to go back to those problems, right? That's why the next verse says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. You see, there's a battle for your mind and your thoughts. You can dwell on these problems, and yet God says, that's not what I want you to dwell on. Those things are beyond your control anyway. Just give them up to me. I heard you. I'll take care of it. It may not be the way you think I ought to take care of it. It may be even better. In fact, I can tell you it will be. It may not be as easy as you'd like, but I've got it. Now let go of that, and now just rejoice in me. Rejoice in me. Just dwell in me. He wants his children rejoicing. God wants to look down and go, look how happy they are in me. Look at my children out there. Everyone else is stressing out and fainting, but not my kids. Look at them. They're lifting their heads up. They trust my word. They know what's coming. They're looking at that next season that's going to happen any moment. Look at how there are lights in this world. You see, it's a battle for our hearts and mind that we are engaged in. And as I said earlier, as the days draw darker and the end of this world draws nearer, this battle will only intensify more and more. Will you be ready? Are you preparing? You see, this passage of Scripture is just such a powerful combination of command and truth and promise of God that will not only help us today, but will also help us be ready for whatever we ultimately face in this life. And if we can figure it out, guess what? We can have the joy and the blessing of getting to help others to figure it out as well. Now, while I've been growing, and I've shared really kind of transparently with you, at least I've attempted to, about my anxiety and my challenge with it, uh, I've really been growing in my ability to surrender and in the process overcome my anxiety Uh, I have not been so good at creating what I would call sort of these Philippians 4-8 mindsets and opportunities and environments for myself where I'm regularly aware of and experiencing his pure, undefiled beauty and goodness all around me. It's hard to see that sometimes, isn't it? Well, I had one of the most powerful moments of my life last weekend, and I want to share just a little bit about it. Uh, My son, Andrew married his love, Kimmy, in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And beautiful family there, huh? Um, Thank you. So I just want to share with you something that was totally unexpected. God really showed up in a very powerful way for me. The whole day was just anointed. It was literally like, you know, just a storybook day in every way. Everything, I mean, could not have gone more perfect. But from the ceremony on down into the reception, 
we had the blessing of having Brandon and Connie fly out, and Brandon married my son and Kimmy, which was so cool. Um, but the whole day was just like God was just all over it. And I, I, I posted a few pictures on Facebook, which I don't do very much, and all I could say was my heart is full. It was just, I couldn't put words to it. It was just this overflowing sense of joy and of peace and of happiness. Of course, my kids tease me because I'm pretty soft in my uh, approaching 50 phase of life. So there was uh, quite a few inexplicable tears of joy. But you know, there was dancing, there was talking, there was celebrating, there was loving and laughing and enjoying. Everyone there felt to some degree or another, their sense of hope, their sense of optimism and excitement for the future, their peace and joy was kind of spilling over and we were feeling peace and joy. All was right in the world that night. It didn't, we, we weren't even aware of anything else that was going on, right? And what God was powerfully and so personally impressing on my heart, and I hope this morning's message is helping to remind you of this as well, is that this is what his kingdom looks like. This is what heaven is going to be like. This is what's real. But unfortunately, this is what is most often unseen in this world, though, right? But I think it's only because we're not able to see it. But if we're willing to choose to live according to his commands in Philippians 4 and elsewhere in the Bible... I believe we will most certainly be able to see more and more glimpses of his glory like I was able to see that night, last Friday night in Michigan. Our hearts and minds will be in the place that he wants them to be, the place they need to be, to be able to see his kingdom and to step into his kingdom and be active participants in his kingdom. And we will be more often than maybe right now able to see glimmers of that kingdom, glimmers of his life, to feel a growing sense of hope as we think on eternity and we think of the reality, not looking at the newsreels on the TV and on the computer every day. That's not, the, that's not what's real. That's not his kingdom. So I want to close in prayer, and then we're going to worship in one more song before we leave. I'm just, just really humbled to, to be able to have this opportunity to share this morning. And I pray, I just pray that you would take some time this week to really re keep reading through Philippians 4, verses 4 through 8, and just seeking God and, and what he's calling you to. Let's pray. Just bow your heads. Right now, don't ask too much. Just for a moment, just start thanking God. Thank God that you get to speak to him. Thank God that he loves you. Tell him how great he is. God, this week, help those of us in this room who are problem solvers, who want to dwell on the negative, who haven't been taking time to rejoice and enjoy you. Help us to just dwell on your goodness where we would have such a reasonable spirit that people would say, I wish I had your God. I, I wish I knew a God like you do. Help us to rest in you, to rejoice in you this week. 
You're a great God, a wonderful God. We lift these requests to you, trusting that you hear us from heaven, and we rest in Jesus' name. Amen.